Join us, friends. Great Scott, Spock guy. Do they know what we have in store for them? They will if they tighten up. And don't double dribble. To the Grey Ghost, Spock guy? Exactly, old chum. No time to waste. To the Grey Ghost. We have not a minute to spare. It's showtime, friends. All right, all right, all right. It is the Spock guy, and it is... Globe trotting with Trey. And we are not wishing Cotton was a monkey, but you know what? There are people out there that are. And today, Trey, we have a special guest that is coming on. And this is not our first special guest, but this is a, a special friend of mine. Uh, known uh, him a long, long, long time. We actually met, uh, and I'll actually we'll we'll bring him in right now, so so he can be in on the conversation, and we'll talk about all that. And he went recently and preached in Kenya. So we're going to bring him in and we're going to talk about that. And this is my friend, longtime friend, David Gould. Hello, David. Hello. What's going on, David? It's good to be so, with you guys. So David Gould um, was, uh, I used to work in the bridge ministry in Nashville, uh, where we would go under the bridge every Tuesday night. Um, and serve the homeless, have a church service, uh, feed the people, people get saved. And then at the end, we would give them uh, groceries and things that they could use uh, to survive basically till the next Tuesday, if you will. And that's where I met David Gould. So tell us a little bit about that, David, and how you ended up there, because you actually grew up very close to where I grew up in North Carolina. So how did you end up in Nashville? Yeah, yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me on tonight. And uh, yeah, so I'm from Moorhead City, North Carolina, originally. And uh, that's just, you know, an hour, an hour and a half away from where you grew up, basically. And uh, I, my father's a pastor. So we we uh, we moved around a fair amount. Some ways it was like being brought up in the military. You know, pastors moved from church to the church. And over the years, I uh, moved to, to the Tennessee area. And um I was in ministry a good portion of my life, and at one point, um, God ended up calling us to Nashville to take a church, uh, my wife and I and my three children. And so we came to Nashville as a church on Shelby Avenue, so it was in the inner city. And when we came to that church, uh, it was 2006. Uh, at that time, the bridge ministry was was doing something under the bridge on a Tuesday nights, and they were actually coming out to Shelby Avenue to give out the same program, basically. Uh, a service on Thursday nights. Thing in Thursday nights, yeah. That's right. And so I, I went to those as well. That's right. That, that's basically how we met. Um, one of us, before we came, we saw that ministry going on, and we were like, you know what? I, I think that's a good part of our future. And so that's how we connected. Uh, you were singing. You were doing sound setup and running the board and all that. And I just happened to be there, you know, on the ropes of the bridge. And that's how we first connected. Yeah. That was a – how long ago was that? It was 2006. Yeah. Okay, so this is um, so that's that's a while. Year I graduated high school. <laughs> Easy now. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, and I think I thought it was longer ago than that. Let's see, 2006. Of course, it's uh, it's 2020. Okay, it's 2023. So that was a long time ago. Wow. It's okay. Almost two decades ago at this point. Wow. Okay. Amazing. Yeah. So you had a church over. You mentioned Shelby, which was uh, one block from where Jesse James Jr. 
the famous outlaw Jesse James Jr. was born and one street over from where Jesse James and Frank James lived or two, uh, two streets over uh, from that area. So that's just a little aside, friends. But David had a church yeah. there. And I was always yeah. impressed that David brought his family um, and 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 they actually lived at the church. And what I am when I say impressed, I was impressed at your uh, your uh, commitment to what you were doing. You know, y'all came here and were in a church there on Shelby and you brought your family. And I remember y'all actually living at the church building. I don't think they had a parsonage and and that kind of thing. So how, so David is my right-hand man at the spa guy. So how in the world did you end up at the spa guy would be my next question. Uh, well, I, I think I was just not a nice person in my former life. Uh, <laughs> um, so exactly. when we left, when we left the church, uh, we had some ministry ideas that we wanted to do and not really take on another church, the pastor. And so we, we actually moved in another direction as far as ministry goes. And that uh, I still needed to be able to take care of myself and feed my family. And at that time, there was a transition, and, and I talked to you, and you were needing some help doing some things. And it was pretty much, you know, not very uh, technical and complicated. So you said I might be able to do it. So I, came <laughs> up and I started just doing some extra stuff around the spa guy and moved through different uh, areas of the spa guy and eventually worked my way up to being the, the head guy who does what we yeah um, so yeah did covers did uh for a little bit of time i ran the service uh, calls uh to the service uh, text and uh eventually parts moving tubs selling tubs and this has really enabled me to do some things in my life as far as ministry goes um that, that i really felt like i wanted to do and should do and the small guy has enabled me to do that and a good opportunity to, to to learn some things and also to do some things so I think that you, from my memory, and of course, that's a long time. I didn't realize it's been that long. It's been a long time. So you um, originally, I think, helped me move hot tubs, right? That's you would right. just come along with me to, to do some moves and that kind of stuff. Not full time. You were just helping me. That's right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And that would have been about 2015. Okay. So, yeah, that was that was a way back. Were you repoing the spas with Spa Guy? Yeah, we were doing some repos. Yeah, we did. I think I went on one repo. I can't remember. Uh, everything seemed like a repo in those days for me because I was just like deer in the headlights because I had no idea what I was doing. Just trying to not let a hot tub fall on me and yeah. <laughs> all that good stuff. And now David goes and moves them on his own and sells them. And he yeah. does he does a lot of stuff. I really rely heavily on him. In fact, uh, the things that we do, Trey and I do, as far as going out and filming and all those things, I wouldn't be able to do if it wasn't for David uh, making sure that things are taken care of, including, like, I went to Europe for a month. So I relied on David very heavily for that for that time. Uh, so he gives me the opportunity to be gone and do things. Um, but I also don't try to take advantage of that. I try to be fair and and be there when I can and but he does it he he helps me to have a lot of freedom if you will um in in the company and and be able to do some other things and and I'm for that I'm really appreciative so you recently uh actually went to Africa and preached you were there for how long I was on the ground for 10 days okay tell us about that what part of Africa and 
And how did you end up over there? Well, uh, since over the last several years, I've tried to uh, give opportunity for any of my pastor friends or people in ministry, if they want to take a break on a Sunday, or if they were going to have a men's retreat or youth retreat or something, they needed somebody to come in and speak or, you know, give them a break or whatever, I, I would offer that. And so last year I did the same thing. I try to do it like once a year, so I'm not you know really out from the church very much. And, um, you know, I thought I would get somebody, you know, maybe in Dallas or in Minneapolis or somewhere say, hey, would you come out here and do a weekend? And all of a sudden in my in my emails, I got a message from uh, a fellow and he said, come to Kenya. And so <laughs> that's not Dallas. Or Minneapolis. And, yeah. uh, so, I mean, you were hoping for a mission to maybe Hawaii. Hawaii would have been nice. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I prayed really hard. <laughs> and so, uh, so what had happened was during the, the COVID outbreak, you know, a lot of churches kind of changed how they did some things, and, and so our church uh, really, um, like, really ramped up our social media activity. We were streaming services, and during that time this pastor from Kenya started watching our services online. He, he would mention, hey, I'm watching from Kenya. And I honestly had no, I had an idea where Kenya was in Africa, but not where it was in Africa. I just knew it was in Africa. I had no idea where Mombasa was. So um, he would do that every week that he would watch. He would say, watching from Mombasa, Kenya. And he's the one that contacted me when I put the uh, line out there for opportunities. And, and so, we started talking, and I learned what he was doing in his ministry. Uh, he, he's a pastor of a church, but he also has a network of like four other churches that he uh, ministers in and, and oversees. And uh, so I was like, you know what? Started praying about it, talked to my wife. It was, you know, doors just started opening, talked to you uh, about being gone because I knew it was not going to be an overnighter. And it uh, turns out it was going to be basically a 14-day trip. Like two days to get there, two days to get back. I would be there for 10 days just to make it worth the, the trip. So it all kind of, you know, kept lining up like it was supposed to. And um, it was really, really cool. Mombasa is a port city on the east coast of Africa and the east coast of Kenya. And uh, it was a major port for trade between India uh, onto the mainland of uh, Africa, up into Europe and England and all those places. It used to be part of the... Uh, the British uh, Empire, Kenya did. And so there's a lot of English focus. So I had a lot of questions before I went. You know, how am I going to do online? How do I even get there? Um, what's the food like? All these things. Some of the things that I would ask were probably pretty shallow. You know, like I, I like to eat American food. And I, I just, I really like to eat American food. So to me, it's always a question of, am I going to be able to eat somewhere else and not offend somebody when I don't want to eat something? So, some of those things, but the biggest thing was, you know, what's the ministry going to be like? And so as we talked it out, you know, it was going to be a 10 days on the ground and basically nine days of, of ministry. Originally, I think I was going to preach like eight or nine times in those nine to eight days. I uh, ended up preaching 15 times in those wow. eight days, nine days. So, um, yeah. Anyway, that's kind of how I got there and, and where it is. So tell me, David, I, I think Spa Guy told me that uh, when you first got there, did the cops pull you over? Okay, so. This wasn't when he first got there, but this it's happened while you were there. there did you, he got arrested. Did tell me he was there. Yeah, okay. And, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, 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 you should have saved that to the end, man. 
Yeah, you know, you're a preacher that got arrested in Kenya. Hey, <laughs> just got really. Hey, Paul was arrested a lot. That's <laughs> so I was traveling with some friends, and uh, we were we were we had taken somebody down to shop, and we were in the downtown area of Mombasa. Mombasa Metro is like 1.4 million people, so this is a huge city, and uh, just very congested with a lot of public transportation. Uh, I mean, so congested you can barely move. So we had dropped somebody off the shop. Later on, we came back by and we were going to pick them up. So my driver was looking for a spot nearby and he couldn't find a parking spot. So, you know, the person was standing right there on the, on the curb. And so we kind of just, you know how it is, you just drop over and you open the door, they jump in and you go. It must happen 5,000 times downtown Nashville on a Friday night, right? But as soon as the door opened for the person to get in, I heard from the big seat, oh no, we're going to get arrested. And I remember my first thought was, <laughs> that's funny. And then um, I realized nobody else was laughing. And I, I guess doesn't sound funny anymore. And I, I said, what do you say? He goes, no, we're going to get arrested. And I, I was like, what does this even mean? My mind is just racing now, you know. <laughs> Everything you would imagine is in your mind. You think I'm getting arrested in Kenya and I'm 8,000 miles from home. And it's a time difference. My family's probably sleeping right now. I'm like, what is going on? And so all of a sudden, I we pull away and all of a sudden I hear a whistle and there's a police officer like, you know, 20, 30 yards away. And he starts heading towards us and he points us over to the curb. I'm like, this is real. This is actually happening. I'm not even sure what's happening. But this is. And so we get over there, the driver gets out. And uh, so now I'm starting to really, really think, okay, now I, go, I go into survival mode. Okay. If we're going to jail, what do I need to do? Where can I hide my phone? You know, all the things that you would take. Um, as you go into jail in Kenya. And then I started to think, what's jail like in Kenya, you know? So the driver, uh, the driver's back there talking to the cop, and the guy in the back seat says, uh, yeah, this is not good. I said, so what's actually happening here? He says, looks like they're going to take us in. I'm still thinking, I said, for what? He goes, well, I don't know yet. <laughs> we didn't do anything, you know? And so uh, the, the driver comes back around, and he sticks his head in the door, and he says, we got us for Destruction of traffic. And I, I'm like, so many things going through my mind. First thought, my absolute first thought was, I've been in Kenya for like, I don't know, just a couple of days. But all I know, the only thing I do know about Kenya is everybody's obstructing traffic in Mombasa. Like, that's all you can do. You can't really drive. You, you're just sitting in traffic all the time. So they should be taking everybody to jail and taking us to jail. <laughs> and so I'm like, that's not even possible here. So then he walks to the back of the vehicle again. And then the guy actually says, well, they're probably going to end up taking us in. And so he, he must have noticed that I was getting a little uh, He goes, don't worry about it. I'm like, too late. So he goes, they're not going to take you to jail. And I'm, my first thought was, okay. He goes, because the last thing they want is for the, is to get on the news that the Kenyan police have arrested a, a little white guy from America and taking the jail for obstructing traffic. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's good, but I still don't want you guys to go to jail. And then the driver comes back around to the door, sticks his head in, and the guy in the back seat says, what does he want? And the driver says, he wants 2500 I'm like, what, 2500 what? Yeah. And it's 2500 shillings. Well, a shilling, basically 2500 shillings is like 20 bucks. So, and so from the back seat, I see him hand some money to the driver. He says, offer him the five, 500 shillings. And he goes to the back of the car, 
And then he comes back to the car just a couple minutes later and he sits down in his seat and starts the car up. And I, I'm like, what just happened? I, I know it just happened. The officer wanted 2,500 shillings and we just paid him off with 500 shillings to let us go. And so now, my, you know how I think, I'm like, well, first, great story, I got arrested in Kenya. Yeah. Now, when they say arrested, they mean stopped because like cardiac arrest is when your heart stops. It's not like you go and get booked and fingerprinted and all that stuff. So then I'm thinking, okay, so I got arrested. But the better story than that is I got off because we bribed the cop. I mean, <laughs> it just gets better the whole time. <laughs> so this, this, is, this is a picture right here of the whole situation. Kenya, beautiful place, but just super corrupt. And so at that moment, I remembered early in the week, because, you know, I'm like you guys, I take my video everywhere. And so I'm videoing everything. And one of the things they said was, do not video or take pictures of the police officers, military, or government buildings. And I was like, why Why is that even a thing? Because in Nashville, you know, you go downtown to a thing, those cops love to get their pictures taken with kids and families and everything. On that day, at that moment, as he was walking away with our 500 shillings, I knew exactly why he didn't want to get his picture taken. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's the corruption, right? So I told my guy, I said, let me just tell you something. If I go back to America and I'm driving and I'm speeding and the police officer pulls me over and he hands me a ticket for 150 bucks, and I look at it and I say, how about I just give you 50 and we'll call it a day? I'm going to jail that day. <laughs> I said, and if the cop takes it, he's going to jail that day. Yeah. Because not only can we take pictures, our cops actually have cameras on them <laughs> to yeah. record what happened. And, uh, and it, was just, it was one of those moments where it just really was stark the difference between our cultures. And so, you know, was it bribery? I mean, technically, but that's just that's just part of how their system works. And that doesn't mean it's a good way. I mean, some, some parts of that, it's like, you know, that's not a bad idea. Uh, <laughs> they save a lot of paperwork and time. You know, I'm in on that system. You stop and want to, instead of me going to court and all that, you want a hundred bucks and let me go, I'm in. I do it all day long. Yeah. We have the technology now. <laughs> you know, just run, run your car. Yeah. yeah. Just, <laughs> let's just do it now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the problem was that, like, I think they saw a white guy in the car and they, he saw an opportunity to shake us down for some money. Um, the other side is, though, you know, the, the corruption side is that they can really persecute a lot of people because the people are hurting and they don't, you know, for them to take a day out to go downtown, you know, or get taken downtown, the paperwork and all that, it's like, it's just crushing them. And so, you know, here, I'll just pay you this and I can't really afford that, but. I can't afford to not do it either. So this is the corruption that's in the government. But, but that was, so I texted my wife. I said, well, I, I, I got arrested. I'm, I got arrested. And I might be taking it. And uh, she texted back and I just didn't say anything, which was a horrible thing to do. But I couldn't help myself. <laughs> and then she was like, well, how are you texting? And I said, well, I hit a cell phone on me. So anyway, I'm just, that's me. <laughs> Aren't you glad you're not my wife? <laughs> so yeah, that's got arrested in Kenya, but I didn't. I didn't go to do any present time because I brought my way out. So I mean, that's just a great story. I don't know. That, that is a great story. So <laughs> you mentioned to me about um, you were in a a building, a concrete building that uh, they were going to prepare a meal. So a lot of churches will have a Sunday morning service and then and then prepare lunch. 
And I've been to that. You've been to that. Trey, I would assume that you've been to that where, you know, potluck people bring things and that kind of stuff. You experienced that in Kenya, but what you told me was very different than what I expected it to be. Tell us about that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so the last Sunday I was there, they, they kind of brought in all the different churches and as many as possible. We probably had 150 or a couple hundred people there. We had a good service. Of course, their their Sunday is a long day, man, because they they don't care about the clock. So we got there. I preached my first. I preached uh, one, two, three. I think I did three services that day, and um, so we got there at like eight o'clock to preach to the young adults. And then after that, I went upstairs, and the the ladies were already upstairs um, preparing the food for the meal that day. Um, I was on the third floor, and then there was another floor on top of that, and then there was the rooftop, which you could stand on the rooftop. So on the fourth floor, they were cooking, and the food they were cooking, they were cooking enough food for, you know, like I said, 150 people or so. And they had this huge, huge pot, this tall spoon. And they were cooking, and as I walked up there, it was really smoky. And we were not outside. We were inside. And they were in this room, and they were, like everywhere else, they were actually cooking um, – in the in the room on like firewood, you know, like a campfire basically, and they were cooking rice and meat and vegetables and all several kinds of meat. It was like it was a big meal, and uh, everybody's sweating, everybody's smoking. You know? Now it's ventilated in the sense that there's no windows, you know, it's a big room, it's got wide openings outside, but it's just like I was standing there thinking, I can't believe this is happening. So everything there is a little bit different. And so buildings over there, um, you know, I don't want to, I would never want to disgrace somebody, but sometimes if you think about, if you go play paintball or laser tag in one of these abandoned buildings here in America, that's basically like a kind of a normal building in some of these settings I was in. So we would think that's an abandoned situation with no electrical wiring and all that. And there, they're using it like we would use our church buildings here or whatever so so when you think about cooking there was like that was their kitchen but there was there's no running water they had to bring all the water in in big uh six gallon jugs take it up four flights of stairs um everything that happens there i'm going to say this basically everything that is easy for us is difficult there we go to the water spigot and we turn it on water comes out faucet you know, whatever. We, we get to choose hot or cold water. Now, I'm not going to say nobody there has running water, but it's running water is a premium there. So most of the time, any water you're going to deal with has been hauled a pretty good distance by several people to get to the point where you can use it. And so, uh, but to them, it's normal life. So when something would strike me as that's rough, it's how they just do it all the time. So like it's, in a sense, it's not rough to them because they're adapted to it. Um, they're adapted to the heat. I was not adapted to the heat. They're adapted to cooking inside. I'm not adapted to that. They're adapted to going and just getting water out of a faucet whenever they want to. I'm not adapted to that. So the things that we take for granted is easy here. A lot of the things like that are very difficult over there, but they're mostly difficult to us because they've adapted to it. So that when you mention it's difficult, they look at you like, I mean, no, it's just normal. So, 
It'd be like somebody saying to us, well, turning that spigot on, that was difficult. And you go, no, that's how it is. But you mentioned to me that something that struck, that it struck you that, that this, uh, these people had walked a mile to get the water and a mile back with six gallons of water so you could wash your hands. Tell us about that. Yeah. So I was at the church. Now this is a different church. Let me let, let me finish that question you had just a minute okay. ago. Because the people who were cooking, some of those people, that was eight o'clock in the morning, probably seven thirty or eight when they started. Then we had the service for the young adults, and then we had the children's service time and the worship time. And I spoke to the children, and then we had the the regular main service. And during the main service, they had the worship singers come up. And some of the worship singers that came up at you know eleven o'clock, eleven thirty, noon, whatever time it was. They had been down there. I'd recognize them from being down there cooking that smoke and that, that heat and all that. They came up and got on stage in their nice clothes and they they sang their hearts out for the Lord. And then they got done with that and they went back down and they prepared food. And I didn't hear a complaining word from anybody the whole day. That was real dedication. We talked about dedication earlier, man. I ain't got no dedication. I saw dedication when I was there. And um, so that that was kind of in the city. That was in a kind of a denser part. I'd say it's um, you know, like in Nashville, you got Madison. So their church was in Madison. But then I went to a church uh, during the week, and it was more out like in the sticks, you know, um, Cotton Town or, you know, Franklin, Kentucky, farther away. And it was called a village as opposed to a city. And when I got there, um, there was no electricity in the building. Church uh, building that we were in that I preached in was, I mean, I would say if you saw it and did not know it was a church facility, you call it a lean-to, you know. If you're from the country, you know what a lean-to is. You know, it's just a, a sheet metal and, and tree post uh, mm-hmm. and, and basically a dirt floor. And that was where their sanctuary was. And it was attached to the pastor's house. So after after the services, we always, uh, you know, would take a little refreshment. They'd have something special to eat, some little bread and some tea and fruit. And uh, so while we were eating... I asked the pastor, I said, so what's the greatest strength of your church? I want to get a pulse of what, what church is like where they are. And immediately he said, man, the greatest, of course, he was speaking in a different language, Swahili. Here, David, I lost you. Yeah, you are muted. I don't know how you got muted. says David is muted. Yeah, you muted yourself. So we missed after he spoke Swahili. Okay, so he spoke Swahili. His answer was, the greatest thing of our church is prayer. I was like, that's a good solid answer for a pastor. So then I said, what's the greatest challenge that your church has? And he kind of, kind of looked down and looked around a little bit. It wasn't as strong as the first answer. He looked over at the preacher who was going to be translating for him, and he said, he told him, and the preacher looked at me and he said, the greatest challenge is water. And so I said, okay, how is that your biggest challenge? And they proceeded to tell me that in that village, um, the people who lived there would have to walk up to an hour each way to get water from a well. Wow. Yeah, that's what I said. And so all of a sudden, my mind starts racing. And, and he explained it to me. I asked him, how much water do they get in a week? He said, well, those, you see that jug over there, six gallons, and they'll probably go through about 10 of those a week. So that means they're making a trip twice a day during the week. And that covers 60 gallons. That covers uh, 
roughly 10 gallon, 10 times of 60 gallons. That covers their, you know, food, it covers their washing, it covers, you know, whatever, cleaning they have to do. And uh, I started my mind just like listening to them, but it's also racing. And then it dawns on me, well, two things dawn on me. It hadn't rained, this was March. It had not rained since December. So, so the well was not always working properly. They have to go to different wells. If they walk an hour, they still might have to pay the well owner to get their water. So I mean, there's just a lot of stuff going on there. But it dawned on me that before we started eating, they'd take a pitcher and a bowl around to each of us, and we'd washed our hands, you know, just kind of did that, water's running over it, and they took the bowl out and dumped it outside. Didn't think anything of it, except that I figured, well, this is an Africa thing to do, and I'm doing it. But at this point, when I heard him say that they walked an hour each way, the, the, my, my, my mind, the wires connected. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, that water that she poured over my hand, somebody had had to go and get that an hour away from here. And I thought to myself, nobody's ever walked an hour I can wash my hands in my entire life. It doesn't, it's not even a thing. You know, we don't even think that way. Certainly nobody's ever gone to that extreme. It was probably a woman who did it because the men are out working or trying to get jobs. And so the women are going to get these containers of water. And it just, I mean, I just sat there and thought, my hands are only clean right now because somebody walked two full hours for me. And that's water that was just going to be thrown out. And so, you know, every, you know, at that point, everything kind of changed in my mind of how I think about it. Yeah. So, you know, and then I, so I looked it up, of course, I got to Google it now. I was like, I wonder how much water we use during a shower in America. I looked it up and the average shower in America, uh, we use about 15 to 18 gallons each shower. That means, that means each shower is about a quarter of what they use the entire week for their whole family. Mm. And so, now I don't use that much because my showers are pretty quick. Now, Trey, I don't know how much water it takes to get that hair to look like that. Uh, uh, but, uh, uh, 35 minutes or so. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's kind of relative, but not, nothing's relative about the fact that somebody walked an hour to get me some water. So, so something that's interesting about that, friends, just something to think about to give you some perspective. A gallon of water weighs about eight pounds. So a person that's carrying six gallons of water, that's 48 pounds. Hauling 48 pounds an hour is pretty crazy. You know, I mean, it's if you can uh, you imagine picking up six one gallon milk jugs and walking around with them? You know, that's yeah, that's pretty that's pretty wild. Yeah. And of course, what did they the carry them in, David? Because uh, you like, mentioned um, the number six. So a five gallon bucket, you know, everybody knows what a five gallon bucket looks like. It's one yeah. gallon bigger than that. So what did it look that's like? Right. You know those um, plastic, uh, gas, the round plastic gas tanks set up underneath the side of a tractor or something? Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's basically like that. Mm. So they're round and they're about, they're a little bit taller than a five gallon bucket. And they have a, a swivel handle on top like those round plastic jugs do. That'd be yeah. hard to carry even, I would think. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Wow. And of course, you know, it's not like it's a straight shot. They're on the field. It's very rural, so there's a lot of hills that there are and everything else too. So, um, so anyway, you know, and the pastor, I found out the pastor had started digging a well, 
because uh, it's his property. And he started digging well. He dug down uh, 40 feet himself. He's a carpenter by trade. And he was digging a well so that they wouldn't have to walk so far to get water. And he got down 40 feet and he stopped. I asked why he stopped. He said, because, well, they said, because it's so dangerous, you know, the cave in. I'm like, well, duh, you know. Um, so, so he's literally he down in the well. Literally down in the well, digging yeah. it out. So, you know, he's only about, they say he's only about 25 feet from water. So I'm working on, I'm working on making that happen because, because, uh, yeah, you know, if they could bore it, happen, right? you know, bore the middle of where That's he's already do, down. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, and then what they'll do is they'll have a pump in there. They'll have a cistern on top that they can have taps in. And once they can pump that water up into the cistern, people from all over the village can come and get water, which would right. be great because then they're coming to the church to get water. And that kind of yeah. preaches itself, you know. And, uh, and, you know, I think it would be cool for – because those are mixed communities. There's, there's Muslims there. In fact, one of the wells they go to – uh, is owned by a Muslim uh, a person there in their village, and they let them come and get water from their well. Uh, so um, it would be really cool, with, not not just good for the people who need the water, but also good for the church to be able to say, we're a place where you can come get water. And uh, so you know, I'm working on that. And it'll also, to me, I spent some time with the children there um, between the church service and the refreshments. We were outside talking, and there was probably... I don't know, 20 or 30 kids out there, different ages, from small kids to teenagers and young adults. We had time to talk. And funny story, we had a, I had a question and answer time. I said, let's open it up for Q&As with kids. And because, you know, I'm like the second white person to ever be in that village. And um, so I'm like, I'm sure they got questions, right? Because I have questions about them. So we opened it up and they started asking a couple of questions. And they asked about what village I'm from. So I thought about Nashville and Cottonville. And um, then, <laughs> then this one girl from the back, she's sitting there, and she says something in Swahili. And my my security guy, he's my interpreter at the time, and he laughs, and they're all, everybody's laughing. I understand they're going, "Oh, brother, I don't know what the question is. This is going to be a doozy." And so he he finally stopped laughing. He looked at me. She, he said, "She wants to know how many wives you have." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you know me, I can't let that go with a straight answer. So I started laughing, and they all noticed that I finally got with it. And I let the laughter die down, and I said, tell her I have four wives. <laughs> and he said, what? I said, tell her I have four wives. And he looked at me and he goes, and in Swahili, he said, he has four wives. And everybody broke up because they knew it wasn't true. They thought they got me. I turned it on them. Uh, but, uh, just, you know, people are people, man. You know, anywhere you go, you guys have traveled everywhere, right? Yeah. You know, people are people. Kids like to laugh. You know, when you ask what their favorite color is, every kid has a, every, in every group of kids, there's a red and there's a green. Kids are kids. People are people. And we all laugh. And, um, you know, the language barrier, if we can get over that a little bit, you know, it's just, uh, it's, it's, uh, humbling because there's such a stark contrast between our lifestyle and their lifestyle. And it was important for me to try my best to not step on that because I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to embarrass myself. I don't want to embarrass them by dumb questions, by you know, you know, at the beginning of the week, whenever I would have that time with kids, I would, I would say things like I would, I would ask them questions that I thought were pretty big. And one of the questions I would ask them was, you know, what do you do in your free time? 
simple question. And then I started realizing all the answers were like, well, you know, I, I help help bring wood in the kitchen and uh, I go get water. <laughs> I'm like, oh, brother, you know, their free time, they're not sitting around playing video games and watching movies and, you know, like they're they're trying to live. You know, they're they're doing what it takes to survive in their free time. So so I kinda I kinda dropped that question after a few days because you know, um, you know, what's your favorite food? You know, and they would laugh and they and it's like they realize that we have the same life in a different way. Um, but uh I I knew more about our differences than they did. And so I was humbled by uh I was humbled by their their lifestyle. And it's, it's weird because as Americans, you know, we're Americans, so obviously we're the best at everything. We got the best. You know, we just, we think the best. But the reality is, I was more impressed by, by their lifestyle than even they would be by ours, and ours is pretty amazing. But in my free time, I don't, I don't walk an hour to get water, so they win. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there's a lot well, We of just don't realize, and, and that's a, a very good point that you bring up, uh, we're living in a country where, where the vast majority of us don't really have any idea how blessed we are, how lucky we are to live here. And there's people complaining about this place when they could be, I, I could tell you this, if the kids were getting water and, and cutting firewood and all that, there wouldn't be time for uh, drive-by shootings and drugs and all that stuff. So there's something to be said for that lifestyle. Yeah, but this day, yeah, it's, it's more, go ahead, Dre. Uh, but this episode will definitely open some people's eyes with the water situation. Walking an hour, you're kidding me? Yeah, an hour that way yeah. and then come back for you yeah. to hold hands. Yeah, and is there a way that the listeners, David, could help with that? You know, is have you set up a fund for that or anything of that nature? Yeah, I'm working on that, and uh, you know, we can because I would donate to that, you know, that so yeah. I'm in, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and part of the thing was I went by myself on this trip, which is kind of unusual. It's, it's kind of a throwback. You know, you know, hundreds of years ago, people would just trek out on their own mission trip. Now it's oftentimes a team that goes. But I didn't really know. You know, I, I know this pastor invited me. Now I really know. I wanted to actually go put my feet on the ground and my eyes on the on people uh, to know what it was all about for myself before I invited somebody else to come in on these. Because we all get those emails from some Ugandan prince, you know, is trying to put five million dollars in your bank account. Yeah. And it's like I don't want to, I don't, want to put my people in situation like that. I went over there, so I, I'm, I know the people who will be drinking out of this well, as opposed to this being a social media post about putting a well in. And that's not any knock on those organizations. But I look, and I, my hands were washed, and you know me, my hands were washed by those people um, walking that distance. So, you know, it's, uh, yes, I'm working on that, and. Um, yeah, I'm working on. I will have a way to uh, connect with you. People who connect with you, you know, if they want to connect with me, you can make that happen too. You know, that's kind of the easiest way right now. Okay. Um, do you want to give out your email? Yeah, yeah. If somebody wants to send uh, an email, you can send it to. Uh, I'm going to say, let's send it to Gould Enterprises, G O U L D Enterprises at yahoo.com, and that'll sure. be it. Good way to start the conversation there and hey you know and I, i'm talking you guys probably have questions but one of the things i'm trying i want to say is I, this is not a guilt trip thing for me like i don't want anybody in america to feel bad that we have such a great life 
I don't want to feel bad that I have such a great life. I believe God has blessed us immensely beyond our comprehension. Um, but I, I think I should feel bad if I don't use that blessing faithfully. You know, if I'm not a good steward of that blessing, that's where the shame should come in. Not that I have an abundance. God gave me an abundance so I can be a blessing to somebody else. I know that's your heart. You know, I'm, you, both of you guys are givers. So, you know, this people who might be listening might go, wow, that's an awful thing that I have run thing. And the people I met in Africa, they're not upset that we have running water. They're glad for us. Um, and they just, they, and they won't even, you know, they don't even, you know, badmouth anything about it. They just, I asked him what his biggest challenge was, and he was honest with me. And so it, just, it gives me an opportunity to say, okay, so what do I do with that? I don't curse my blessing, but I don't curse their curse either. You know what I mean? So mm. I need to use my blessing to be faithful uh to to other people hey man well sometimes as i mentioned uh there's the the things that that are blessings that that we take for granted are actually not good for us we got too much time on our hands to create issues is is a, a big a big part of it yeah. and look i'm thankful yeah. for it thank you lord yeah. that i don't have to go and walk and get water but uh yeah. also uh uh Correct me if I'm, uh, you know, taking these things for granted, so to speak. But but we can't bless other people if we're not blessed. That's the that's the the crux of it. So uh, we're running up on we're coming up on uh, almost three minutes left. Um, so uh, just a hair over three minutes left. So, Trey, do you have any other questions? I was going to ask David, is there any kind of similarities to America there, like McDonald's or anything like that we would recognize? Yeah. Yeah. Very few. Interestingly enough, there is no McDonald's in that city of 1.4 million people, which I thought McDonald's was everywhere. I thought if I went to Antarctica, I'd see it in Golden But there is none. I will tell you what is there. I will say, I will say four things thank that I recognize. Thank you. Thank you very much. One is, um, Ashley Home Furnishings. Some of y'all know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> they also had a Cold Stone Creamery. They okay. also had a Domino's Pizza. And they also had a uh, KFC. Oh, KFC and Domino's. Okay. I ate at the KFC in Mombasa, Kenya. And I'm going to tell you that the chicken tasted exactly like it does in Nashville, Tennessee. And we talked about that before. There's this formula. And no yeah. matter where you go in the world, it's got to taste the same. And so their sides were a little different because they eat different sides. But the chicken itself, the colonel would be proud. <laughs> and so um, there were a lot of similarities. Not, not a lot. So there were a few similarities. And those are the ones that we would recognize by name. Um, yeah. So that was Those weird. are that odd things weird. to be there. I would think that it would be McDonald's, like you said. I mean, Ashley Furniture, of, of all things, yeah. wow. Chick Who would have ever thought it? Hey, Chick-fil-A hasn't made it over there yet? <laughs> Apparently not. They'll clean up when they go, boy. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. cool stuff. Well, uh, yeah. have you got another trip planned to go over there? I mean, have y'all started talking about that? Uh, yes, I have. Uh, the people there, they love they love me coming over. I love going over. Um, you know, I'm I'm looking again. Yeah, I'm I'm starting to think maybe early next year. 
Uh, you know, in our business, there's certain times that you can go and certain times you can't yeah. go to be fair to the other people. So, but um, the, the, the times that I'm looking at uh, would probably be next year. And that would give me an opportunity to sell that, to see that well in operation and some other things. And I would probably take some other people with me this next Amen. time. My wife wants to go for sure. Well, look, I have, I've got one question. I'm sorry, Trey, because this is going to run us over, but this is an important question. Yeah. Did you see miracles happen in Kenya? Because I know that in America, we don't see miracles very often because most of us don't really need one. You know, so our need for a miracle is not like their need for a miracle. So tell us about that. Yeah. I'll tell you what, the, well, the biggest miracle, and it's not just the, uh, uh, strange or funny, but the biggest miracle happened to me, just opening my eyes to some things. And you know me, I've seen a lot of stuff, but my eyes were open to, to God. My eyes were open to what he's doing with other people and to what he wants to do with me. I heard stories after story after story. Testimonies are important over there because that's how they tell what their lives are like. And testimony after testimony, a woman fell out of a nine-story building, went into, people thought she was dead. She came back out of it. She stood in front of me and gave her testimony, crippled, barely could walk. But praising God for saving her life. Uh, one of my security guys, he had been a Muslim, come out of a Muslim family, became a Christian, and uh, was not that wasn't very good for his family, but he also still has a relationship with his mom. Um, I prayed for a child over there that had uh, malaria, and just within you know the next day or so, I heard that the child did not have malaria. That doesn't mean I healed the child. It means that I don't know the situation, and God worked in that situation. Um, people were, were understanding the word of God like they never had. Just Time after time, you hear stories of people giving God praise for being so good to them. And maybe we don't see so many miracles because we think, you know, like you said, we don't really need them. But yeah. We probably need them more than anybody does. Yeah. And Trey, I didn't mean to step on you, but I thought that was important. We needed to talk about the miracles. I should have mentioned that earlier. Go ahead. I was just going to ask you, what is the plane trip like? The hours, how difficult is it yeah. to fly from here to there? That was the biggest. That was... The trip over there and the trip back were more tiring than anything. Uh, so I flew from um, here to DC, to DC, and then I flew from DC to Frankfurt, Germany, which is another story in itself. From Frankfurt, I flew to Mombasa. Mombasa is below the equator. Um, and then it takes two days. I left on a Thursday morning. I got there on a Saturday morning. Staying on the way back, it was like a two-day trip. And um, so it takes four days just to travel. And man, that it's if, if I'm not in the best shape of the people I know, but if you're not in great shape, you're probably not going to make just the trip. You know what I mean? Just the actual getting there is going to kill you. It's where, where you're out. And by the time you get there, you'd be like, I feel like I'm dead. So it's, it's difficult. It's difficult. Mm-hmm. It's a long time on a plane. So give your email one more time real quick, and we're going to close. Yes. Gould Enterprises, G O U L D. Enterprises, E-N-T-E-R-P-R-I-S-E-S at yahoo.com. And uh, I can send you some more information about what I've learned and what I'm doing. And I would love to connect with you. Thank you so much, David. And uh, this was fun. And we'll uh, get together and talk another time about some cool stuff with David Gould.